win and maybe go home? Survive and advance to more playing games? Possibly. Uh, feeling very similar to the Indiana Pacers tweet about the playing games. Happens after the regular season, but it's not supposed to be called the playoffs or the postseason, but that's when it's happening. Either way, fascinating dynamic that we saw last night. Getting a little bit of the plan, plus Chris Mannix, Sports Illustrated, how he's feeling about the Jazz, where they're going. We dive into his latest for the magazine on Utah and look around at Warriors, Lakers, and Grizzly Spurs with Mannix. This is Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. I'm JP Chunga. Podcast brought to you by Bailey's Moving and Storage. We move you every step of the way, near or far, big or small. Bailey's Moving and Storage. So I wanted to start with, first, offense. Building off of the conversation that we had with Brian Windhorse. If you missed it, check it out. It's on the same feed. Windy gives you insight on what type of LeBron we might see tonight. If you're concerned with that team that many believe is going to be the best seven seed in the entire history of the NBA, no better person to talk about LeBron than the LeBron guy, Brian Windhorse. Check it out. Good convo. But he dropped his piece, Offenses, this year. And this came to my mind of wanting to have Brian on the show because he was in a pregame scrum on those Zooms Asked a question to Quinn Snyder about how offenses are so much better this year. What has happened over the 72-game slate to where we're seeing historically good offenses? 2019 to 2020, Dallas Mavericks owned the best and most efficient offense in NBA history. As of today, that offense is the eighth best in NBA history. The Jazz rank third in league history. Teams are shooting better. They're shooting more efficient shots. What's going to happen when it comes to the playoffs? This is the question that you have to keep in mind when you're watching everything. Because seven teams having historical seasons is just out of this world. But what Quinn answered for Brian is that this will change when it comes to the playoffs. Teams are going to be able to game plan. Coaches are going to be able to make adjustments. There's a difference during the regular season when you have a finite amount of time, the schedule's condensed, 145 days, limited practice time. Now that we've reached the playoffs, there's going to be opportunity to figure out what other teams are doing because now you can look at that scout and know every single play that the team is going to be playing against you. It's just something that... All these teams know. They know the plays of their opponent. And that's why it gets a little reductive when it comes to the playoffs. Do you have a bucket getter? Can you improvise into shots? Which has to be an advantage for a team like the Jazz. They have Donovan Mitchell. Then there's Jordan Clarkson who could go off for a game. A Mike Conley. Boyan Bogdanovich. There's more than just one. So while offenses this year are out of this world efficient, it's my expectation, much like Quinn Snyder's, that things will come to level once coaches have an opportunity to game plan. Once they've listened to the rewatchables, listened to the cinephobe, they know what you do, 
and they can game plan against it. Now, there's still obvious tiers, and from last night's game in the Eastern Conference in the play-in, Pacers are much better than the Hornets when Charlotte doesn't have Gordon Hayward. I mean, that's, that's just not close. And the Celtics are better than the Wizards by considerable margin, and they showed it. In the West, there's that 7-8, Warriors-Lakers, and then there's a gap, Grizzlies-Spurs. When you look at that 7-8 game, whoever wins it is going to give Phoenix a run for their money. And it's probably going to be the Lakers. L.A. with a playoff LeBron and a defender to match up with Steph and Dennis Schroeder, they have more than Golden State. Unless Steph dominates the matchup with Schroeder, it's probably going to be Lakers advancing to take on the Suns. But I'd love to watch what the Jazz are thinking during this game. When they see those two teams going at it, what they would do against them, learn a lot from watching a game with the Jazz. Let's get to Chris. But as always, make sure you're letting others know that you're listening to the podcast. Five stars, nice reviews, that's all I ask of you. Help others find us. Sports Illustrated, Chris Mannix. His latest is Utah's Journey from Dysfunction to Dominance. Chronicles where the Jazz were last year to where they are this year. And it starts with that rift between Donovan and Rudy. We talked about it here on the podcast. We had on Taylor Rooks. Spoke to both players about their difficulties. How it didn't appear salvageable according to The Athletic, and they're reporting at the time, well, now Utah's the number one seed in the Western Conference, and they own the best record in the NBA. How'd they get here? What's the prognosis heading into the postseason? And some play-in discussion with Chris Mannix of Sports Illustrated. Please enjoy. When it comes time to move, it's always a hassle. Loading everything in the truck, hoping the priceless antique from your mother doesn't break, and trying to juggle the kids and dog in the middle of it all is enough to drive anyone crazy. But it doesn't have to be that way. The friendly, background-checked movers at Bailey's Moving and Storage have the expertise to move your family across town or even around the world. So when it's time to move, think Bailey's Moving and Storage. Call today at 801-218-2640 or check them out online at baileysallied.com. Well, first of all, it really is one of the more remarkable stories of the last calendar year that the Jazz are even in this position. I mean, to go from where they were in the middle of March to finishing the season with the best record in the NBA is just incredible. Um, As far as what was revealed in in kind of conversations about all that, a, a couple of things. One, the importance of the bubble really was paramount like they that that team as much as anyone needed the bubble now you know the the rift between rudy and donovan had been i don't say squashed but it had been addressed prior to going to the bubble but there was still a lot of healing needed to be done not just from what i kept hearing from between rudy and donovan but rudy and the rest of the team and everybody within the team they needed to be together so when i talked to different people on the team and within the organization one thing that stuck out was just these casual encounters, the sit-downs at bars, hanging out by the pool, playing kind of games outside of uh, the basketball arena. All those things that 
you look at as mundane anecdotes ordinarily, it was essential for this Jazz team to come together. Like they needed these healing opportunities to move them forward to the point where if the bubble didn't exist and if the NBA just scrapped the season, they got into training camp in the fall, I'm not sure the Jazz would be here right now. I think they needed that time together to kind of heal and come back together as a team. That's first. The second, from a basketball perspective, was maybe a little more surprising to me, was you know, just how confident this team was about their chances to succeed in the aftermath of blowing that 3-1 lead. I mean, mm-hmm. they, they lose in the way they lost to Denver, you know, going up 3-1 and choking it away. And you would think that would cause some some self-doubt to creep in. It was just the opposite from the players I was talking to. They felt like that series, in a way, proved that they could compete at the highest level. You know, whether – and it was largely because, look, they didn't have Bojan Bogdanovich in the bubble. He's obviously an essential part of that team. Mike Conley was a different player than the one we've seen this season. So that Jazz team felt, though, even though they lost – you know, when they got the players they were going to get back, they were going to be a, a championship or at least a conference contending team. And that was kind of the mindset that permeated, you know, most of the players that I, in the locker room from most of the players that I talked to that, you know, that experience, instead of being something that caused them to doubt themselves, it caused them to believe more in themselves and put them in this position. Well, and I even think back to that press conference that Justin Zanuck and Dennis Lindsay had in Vegas to introduce Mike Conley and Boyan Bogdanovich, where they said they wanted to be a top five offense and a top five defense. And last year, they did it on the offensive front, but the defense got too stretched. It was all incumbent on what Rudy could do. This year, they were able to get both at the end of the season, they're top five offense, top five defense. What have you seen basketball transformation-wise between where they were last year to where they are right now? Well, I think Derek Favors has a lot to do with it, not just because of what he produces on the floor, but the comfort of having him behind Rudy Gobert. I mean, Rudy was telling me, like, you know, at the end of last season, he went to management and said, we need to get Derek Favors back. Now, people in management told me, like, Yes, he said that we're going to do it anyway. But you know, Rudy was—he uh, he certainly advocated for it, and that's because last season, you know, Rudy was out there on the floor, and I think he tried too hard to stay out of foul trouble to to avoid having to go to the bench early, a bench that had guys he didn't really trust as much as he trusts Derek Favors and Favors being there to backstop him. I think that gives Rudy or has given Rudy a confidence knowing that, look, if he gets into foul trouble, favors can step in, that defense will still be playing at a high level. I think that is is probably, you know, if you're looking at the biggest reasons why this Jazz team has rebounded to become the top five defensive team they've been in previous years, I think the return of favors has a lot to do with that. How much of a surprise has the Jordan Clarkson experience been to you? Where were you when he was traded here to where – it's gone now where he's one of two six-man candidates of the year on this team. Yeah, I think I wrote in the magazine story, which was filed like a month and a half ago now, like Jordan Clarkson was the front runner for uh, six-man of the year. I'm not so sure that's the case anymore as we yeah. are done with the season. His teammate, uh, Joe Ingles, is going to give him uh, a run for his money. But, I mean, when Jordan Clarkson was traded to Utah, 
it barely crossed my radar. It's like, okay, they get uh, a guy from Cleveland who has been for most of his career, a, you know, kind of high volume score, like, but on bad teams, usually not teams that compete for championships. I thought Clarkson could be one of those guys you throw into games and occasionally he'd come up with some scoring outburst that might help you win. I never anticipated the type of consistency that we've seen from Jordan Clarkson this year. A lot of that is a credit to Clarkson who has continued to improve as a player. I think a lot of it's a credit to Quinn Snyder who really has developed two systems. You know, you know, when Clarkson's on the floor, it's like, all right, Jordan, go do your thing. Like, you know, we don't have to be the same type of ball movement team that we are when the starting five is out there. When it's the starting five, it's four, five, six passes. It's get up early three point shots when they're there. When Clarkson's out there, oftentimes you've seen a lot of isolation that he plays, not a lot of passing that happens when he's out there on the floor, but it's worked. It's worked. You know, they've played to the strengths of Jordan Clarkson. And look, these are the type of deals that you need to make and you need to have work to be a championship team. You can build out with your stars, with Donovan Mitchell, with Rudy Gobert, with others, but you need guys like Clarkson to hit in order to put yourself in a championship position. And Clarkson obviously has hit for this jazz team. Would you favor Clarkson in the six man of the year over Joe? You know, as we're recording this, my vote is due in about seven, eight hours. I still haven't decided on that one. Okay. To be honest with you. I'm still, I'm still working it back and forth on, you know, who deserves that award, but it's tight, man. It's really tight. Where are other spots that you think that the Jazz could get that recognition nationally from a award standpoint? Obviously, Rudy, Defensive Player of the Year. Quinn could be an opportunity for Coach of the Year. And then all NBA hopefuls in, in the stars that they do have. Yeah, I mean, look, I think Rudy is Defensive Player of the Year. I think he is third team all NBA. Now the all NBA voting, it's a little screwy. Like, you know, they, they say you can vote for three big men uh, and not by position in the front court. I don't do that. I vote centers because there are three great centers in the NBA. There's Jokic, there's Embiid and there's Rudy Gobert. I think even Rudy would say he's third team behind Jokic, the probable MVP and Embiid who would have been the MVP. I think if he didn't miss so much time, uh, with that injury. So I think Rudy deserves a spot as the third team, all NBA center. Uh, I, you know, the Mitchell case will be interesting. I haven't filled out that part of the ballot yet either. Like I, I had him almost as a lock as a first team, all NBA guy. Cause I thought he was going to be high on the MVP ballot, you know, come like early April before the injury, then the injury happens. He loses a large chunk of games and you have to really weigh the value of that. I mean, I think durability is among uh, you know, players' most compelling attributes this season. I mean, Nikola Jokic played all 72 games. That's a big reason why he's probably going to be the MVP uh, when that award is announced. So does the amount of games that Donovan has missed cost him a spot on the second team? Does it bump him to the third team? It, it's really tough to kind of gauge what you charge a guy for the amount that he's missed. So that's really the only yeah, outstanding thing right now. Where does Donovan Mitchell fall in the all NBA ranks, if anyone, if he doesn't make the teams, it's not really a knock against him. There are six awesome guards that would be ahead of him. I mean, the guard depth in the NBA is crazy right now, but he was certainly on his way, at least on my ballot to being all NBA first team uh, before this injury happened. And it's stacked even in the Western conference where you have Steph, you have Dame. I mean, it, it's just, what are you going to do when there are only so many uh, spots? Somebody's going to, going to end up being snubbed. 
But I think the thing that he did prove, and, and you went through uh, just in looking at what happened in the bubble, that playoff performance is looming large to what Jazz fans see here now. Him being able to go over 50 twice in four games proved something to a lot of people. What do you see for their playoff hopes for this team in the way that their side of the bracket ended up where the Clippers did a little chicanery and ended up with their matchup against the Mavericks? Chicanery is one word for it. I mean, tanking is uh, probably the more appropriate one. If you lose to Oklahoma City, which was actively trying to lose that game, you basically tanked it away. Uh, doesn't show a lot of confidence that the Clippers have in their ability to beat the Lakers, but that's a conversation for for another day. Um, I'm bullish on the Jazz if Mitchell's healthy. Like, that's the big what if in all this. The amount of time he's missed with an ankle injury, which, as we've seen with LeBron, has a tendency to recur. Uh, if it, you come back too soon, I, I, I wonder about that. Now, you benefit, obviously, from more time off. You, you know, they're not going to start their postseason until what, like Saturday or Sunday, whatever it's going to be. Um, I think that's certainly going to help Mitchell, but does he step back on the floor the same guy we saw when he stepped off? Like that to me is going to be one of the the outstanding questions. But if he is that same guy, there's no reason to believe the Jazz can't win this conference. I mean, I never understood the, you know, Mitchell's can't lead a team to a championship narrative. That came, you know, Shaq sort of threw that stuff out there. There've been other criticisms of Mitchell in the past. He has yet to have a team that you would say was championship worthy. I mean, he came into the NBA as the Jazz were needing to retool after Gordon Hayward left. And in no time over the last few years has he had a team where you've said that team is built to win a championship. Now, this team is. This team has the talent and the depth and the, the skill level to beat anybody in the conference. So if they fall short, if they lose in the first or second round, a lot of that's going to fall on Donovan Mitchell. He's going to face some criticisms uh, because of that. But until then... There's no reason to believe he can't do it. Like he's shown, as you said, in the playoffs last year that he was capable of it. He improves every single year. I think his defense uh, is going to be better in this postseason and will be better in this postseason. So I think that Donovan Mitchell, while it's a very important playoffs for him because of the talent around him, uh, there's no reason not to be optimistic about his ability to lead this team deep into the postseason. That was the other thing that you perfectly verbalized in the story about Donovan Mitchell, how willing he is to improve, how he's watching clips of every single matchup. Like, there are two different approaches. You have Joe Ingles on one side, who when he's off the basketball floor, it's all about the kids, it's about uh, his family and those things. Donovan's single. And right now, he is all about watching basketball, breathing, living the game throughout. How have you seen him improve now with those expectations on him? Because the thing that you saw last year and, and sort of the knock has been the efficiency. But the other thing they have to attack on that is he's now being asked to do more and more each year that he's been in the league. Yeah, look, the, the film watching, you know, look, he took advantage of the pandemic in that way. Like he spent yeah. so much time you know, during the early months of the pandemic, just studying his old tapes, not the good ones. He told me just all the bad ones, uh, you know, all the bad performances he may have had over his career and trying to get better. Uh, the efficiency certainly is going to be a lingering issue uh, for Mitchell. If, 
if he's inefficient in the playoffs, that's going to be problematic for this Jazz team. But one thing I like about his game and the evolution of it this year, and Mike Conley you know, sort of brought it to my attention, was he's getting to his spots. Like in years past, you might have been able to push Donovan Mitchell to a place he didn't want to go on the floor, whether it was off a fadeaway or just a spot on the floor he didn't want to be at. This year, he's getting to where he wants to get. Now, that doesn't always guarantee a bucket, but he's getting exactly where he wants to be on the floor. And I think if he can do that in the postseason, it's going to bode well uh, for the Jazz. Look, he's not a finished product by any stretch. He's still years away from the prime of his career, and he still hasn't had those deep playoff runs that tend to shape a player as they get a little bit older. But the improvements I've seen from him this season, where, again, before the injury, he was emerging as an MVP candidate and an all-NBA guard, uh, I think that you know certainly bodes well for the Jazz this playoff. Full strength for this team. Was he your MVP on the team between the way that Mike played, between Rudy and what he offers? Was Donovan your MVP for this team? Yeah, he probably was. Um, yeah, I, I think Rudy gets overlooked in that discussion because he doesn't put up the offensive numbers that Mitchell does. We all know Rudy as you know, people there have told me it's just like a walking top 10 defense, but offensively, you don't see that same type of, of sizzle with him. However, you look at those, you know, uh, basically hockey assist numbers and Rudy's up there. Numbers. Rudy's up. There. Oh, so banned on, banned on the podcast, banned on the podcast. We'll be bleeping this out. <laughs> well, Hey, Hey, look, it is what it is. You look at those NBA advanced stats. He's right there at the top almost every single year. So he contributes you know, heavily on the offensive end of the floor. But Mitchell, he's the straw that stirs the drink, man. Like, he's the guy that uh, you rely on to take over games in the fourth quarter. Rudy's the guy screening for him, but Mitchell's the one that's going to have to make plays. So I always lean towards that type of player for my team MVP than I would somebody else. Right. I, I respect the you know, but sometimes gets a little bit too much, and I don't want that to be the rap on the Utah Jazz is that every single person is bringing about there's a lot of bleeps in the podcast. It's getting a little <laughs> a little colorful here. All right, let's look at uh, just uh, the play-in because the Jazz would be taking on one of these four teams, uh, likely Warriors, Lakers, Grizzlies over the Spurs being thrown to that mix. Are we jumping the gun in thinking that L.A. will come out and be the seventh seed over Golden State? No. Be, uh, look, unless LeBron's retweak of his ankle is more serious than we know. I mean, it was wild seeing LeBron out there in the fourth quarter of that game yeah. against the Pelicans. Like, what are we doing with LeBron playing in that situation when you could just look up at the scoreboard and see that, you know, seating was already determined because of that Denver game. Um, but if LeBron's close to full strength, yeah, as good as Steph Curry is, I think they win that game. I mean, the Lakers, to the fear of everybody in the NBA are going into the playoffs close to full strength. I mean, Davis has been back for a couple of weeks now. Uh, Dennis Schroeder came back maybe a little bit earlier than I expected, uh, came back from his COVID issue. Um, you know, you've still got to worry about some chemistry stuff with Andre Drummond, not playing with some of these guys as long as they would have hoped. But I, I think that's small potatoes in the big picture. I, I think the Lakers will be the seventh seed. I think they beat uh, the Warriors. I think they'll be motivated to beat the Warriors, not because they, you know, prefer a Phoenix matchup over Utah, but no, you beat the Warriors, you don't have to play in the next game. And you give your your stars a little bit of extra rest going into the start uh, of that first round series. So I would heavily favor uh, the Lakers in this one. I, I just, it would take, I think, a 
superior performance from Steph Curry plus somebody else doing something ridiculous on Golden State for them to win this game and uh, and get that seven seed. Are the Warriors the eight then? As much as the Grizzlies showed yesterday in, in that matchup, uh, Dylan Brooks fouls out. Dylan Brooks fouls. That's what he does when, when he's out on the floor. This game kind of went to script. Golden State, when they have Draymond and Steph working together, that's a much better team than what Memphis can throw out there. Well, it, it's, it's, a, it's a much better team. I don't disagree that, you know, A-level Draymond, A-level Steph makes uh, Golden State uh, a better team. But yet Memphis going into this playoffs pretty healthy. <laughs> That's yeah. been a problem for them throughout all season long. The Jaron Jackson injury, which cost him like, what, three quarters of the season. Um, you know, not having him certainly hurt if they had him all season long. They'd probably be a lot higher in the standings at this point. And there's just something about this Memphis team that I think the taste of the bubble is still in their mouths a little bit. Like losing all those guys to injury during the 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 play-in part of it, during the the, the eight games, the seeding games and all that, you know, kind of having, seeing themselves stumble in the standings, then missing out uh, on uh, on that top eight playoff spot. I think that's lingering with some of these guys. I think John Morant's going to have a great couple of games. I think like uh, Jaron Jackson's going to play well. I think they're going to get enough offensively that it's going to make that Golden State game, if they get there, very interesting. So I know I don't think it's a fait accompli that that the Warriors are that number eight seed. I think Memphis, frankly, is probably a deeper team than Golden State is right now. Golden State's had so many injuries, starting with Clay down to James Wiseman, that I think they're vulnerable. You know, and they they an inefficient Steph game could cost them a, a postseason spot. And I think Memphis has enough talent to be able to do it. I just think that that. Wiseman injury simplified things for for Kerr in thinking that he still has to thread that needle of developing Wiseman, getting Ubre out there, simplifying things to where Draymond it's the Draymond Steph show. You you have to play this way. You can't have those mistakes from Wiseman in big games because you need to be in the playoffs and Steph can get you there by the way that he's played and and the way that he had April. April was an insane month. For Steph, possible, but I mean, look—you may want Wiseman for Jonas Valanciunas. That's for sure. I it's mean, true. You another big body. <laughs> true. out there on the floor. When Looney got, doesn't you know, do Kelly it Oubre for you. Draymond Green, Looney. Yeah, I don't know those guys. They may be beta. Plus, you're putting a lot of faith in Andrew Wiggins having a consistent, yeah. you know, postseason. And I'm not so sure that's what you can bank on. Either. Look, I, I just think it'll be it'll be close. I think, you know, if it's if it's Memphis that gets through. San Antonio, and I think they get through the Spurs in that 9-10 matchup. I think if it is Golden State and Memphis, it's a really tough series or a really tough game uh, between those two that, you know, one player emerging either way could be enough for that team to win. Is there a better matchup for the Jazz between those two? Uh, you know, I, I guess you don't want to play a championship team in the playoffs. Like Steph and Draymond will go into that series you know, not at all intimidated by the moment. They won't go into Utah and be afraid of 13,000 fans. Like that's just not how they're wired. So I guess you probably want to play the less experienced team in that situation, but neither one will be a walk in the park for Utah. I think both those teams are better than your average eight seed going into the playoffs and, and aren't just going to be a four game walkover. What do you see from the East? Just a quick thought on, on that bracket. Who, do you think can get it done to get out of that conference? Well, uh, look, if Brooklyn does it, 
they will become the exception to every rule because traditional thinking is that you can't throw a team together on the fly, have no training camp, and then see them play, see the three stars play seven games together, eight games, whatever it is, and expect to win. Usually you need chemistry to build and a season or two seasons before you can win uh, a championship. Uh, you also don't see a team that is as deplorable defensively as Brooklyn can be have a chance to win a championship. Usually, as we talked about earlier, you've got to be in that top 10 range. I think the Nets finished like 26th or 27th in defensive efficiency on the season. There's not good on that end of the floor, but they get away with it because they've got three snipers that we haven't seen since like Miami's big three was together. And maybe even better because these are all three perimeter guys that can create their own shot and do a lot of different things when they have the ball in their hands. So I think Brooklyn's going to be fascinating to watch. The most consistent team, is probably Philadelphia. And I think the Sixers have just enough shooting to balance out their lineup. Last year, that was a big problem for them. This year, Danny Green, Seth Curry, a few others, they've been able to get enough shooting to make it so teams aren't collapsing on Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. So the safe pick is probably the Sixers to come out of the conference. But yeah, I still don't know what to make of the Nets. Like, I don't know if, if three guys that can destroy you in the fourth quarter are enough or if they're going to be down so much in the fourth quarter because their defense is terrible, that it's not going to matter that these three guys can get you buckets at any given time. They're, they're going to be one of the funner teams to watch or most fun teams to watch uh, in recent years in the postseason. It's going to be interesting to see if they could get that chemistry in the playoffs. Cause it seems very, a little bit clippersy from last year where they were trying to get chemistry while still resting players and, and trying to figure things out. And then they have this year where they tank their way to the four seed. Well, don't get me don't get me started on the Clippers. Who, if, if I have to hear another like this is their year sort of sentiment, I, I don't I don't buy it. Like it, until they get until they show me how they respond to getting punched in the mouth. And look, this first round series they have with Dallas is not a walkover. Yeah. Like the Mavericks look the Mavericks probably look at last season and say, look, if we didn't lose Porzingis early, might have won that series. Like Luca played great, uh, so they're going into this with some confidence. They've been one of the I don't want to say they're better second half teams, but they overcame an awful start to put themselves in position to be the number five seed. So I think the Mavericks going to walk into Staples with some swagger going to that first round series. So I want to see what happens when the Clippers, if the Clippers go down two one, like does, does that team rise to the occasion or do they crumble as they have so many times in years past? Now you can't fault Kawhi and Paul George for lob city or any other Clippers disasters we've had in, in recent generations, but that's a team that had a 3-1 lead and blew it. So un until we see them show the kind of resolve you need to be a champion, they're still going to be a questionable group. And we see how difficult it is to get a conference finals. Jazz haven't been there since D-Will and Boozer. And since that time, Clippers haven't even been there. So <laughs> it's going to be difficult uh, either way when it comes to the playoffs. Sports Illustrated, Utah's journey from dysfunction to dominance. Chris Mannix on Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. Chris, thank you so much for taking the time. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.